Tschüss. What was that last one? I don't know. Oh, before our time, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure. Do you have a quote? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Give it to me, Cliff. Here at Globo Gym, we're better than you, and we know it. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Practice Podcast. We are your hosts, Knock. Lynn. Cliff. Oh, and just like the song says, today's episode is going to deal with stores in the New Orleans area that ain't there no more. No. Yeah, it's, it's super sad. Which this could be like a multiple episode deal. There's a lot that ain't there no more. I had to rein my story in, for sure. We're going to be talking about some eateries, uh, some places where you used to get 99 cent uh, six pack of beers. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, a grocery where you could drink a 90 cent highball while you made your groceries. Oh, nice. Right? They made you a drink while you mm-hmm. served yourself? Yes. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Bring it back. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Um, I don't know if you've been to a Rouse's at 10 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday. Mama does not have coffee in her go cup. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. There it is. Okay, good to know. Good to know when you see... Lynn at Rouse's. Yeah. Uh, just I didn't say me. Make, make sure yeah. that she's got both hands on the car. Yeah, no shit. It's just your mom and him, you know. Don't you dare take the last uh, eggnog from her. She's going to be super pissed. I'm going to have some words. Oh, but it'll be good. But even though it's sad, uh, we are bringing back some great memories. I'm bringing back uh, a great memory, but a little it's a little disgusting. For me with my story. Well, this is the only place that I've ever eaten myself sick. Eaten, eaten, ate, ate so much, I've made myself sick. Have you ever done that before? I guess when I was a kid, I'm well, I would say college, you know, hung or not hung over, excuse me, three o'clock in the morning, just crushing whatever you could find. <laughs> Jack in the box. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just thinking about Jack in the box makes me feel sick. It took a lot of years off my life, I'm sure. I bet. <laughs> Mine was Mr. Gaddy's as a kid. Ooh. That yeah. buffet. Yes. Boo, I would crush that pizza and then I would go touch all those dirty games. <laughs> I can think about the games at Mr. Gaddy's now and the fact that we didn't get sick just from that. Because, you know, no one wiped that down. No, and you built your immune system. Exactly. That's exactly what it's for. I loved pizza buffets because that's where I learned the the age-old trick of ranch and pizza. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then that's when the years started dwindling off my head. So my brothers wouldn't eat the crust off the pizza. And when we would leave, there would be a mountain of crusts in the middle of the table. And you could see the servers just, they're not, that's generous to call them servers. The employees <laughs> were judging us. When we left. Yeah. So instead of the beer mid, it was the uh, crust of mid. It was. <laughs> a pile of misfit crusts. You, I, were you tempted to like... Maybe I want some crust. No. No, No, my brothers ate that. I don't want to. I'm so disgusting. Like, always part of me is like, you gonna eat that crust? Yeah. You gonna eat? Me too. No? Even after the pandemic. Yeah. I don't care. (laughs) You gonna finish that? Uh, So, the song we played at the top of the show 
was by a fantastic New Orleans group called Benny Grunch and the Bunch. Oh, they yep. uh, did a whole, they did, they do, they do a whole lot of parody songs. They do a lot of songs about local history and culture and things. And the title of that song was Ain't There No More. And I think I wasn't even saying that correctly because you take the, the phrase, they aren't there anymore. Correct. And then you remove all the consonants. Yes. And it's ain't there no more. And that's what we no tend more. to say down here about places that were cultural, that we all love for one reason or another, and they shut down usually from financial ruin. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or bought. Whatever. And then ruined financially. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right, right. Just completely, yeah. <laughs> bought and then in the tank. one we're gonna do tonight is Poncho's Mexican Buffet. I told you before, mm. I ate myself sick there once, uh, but I still went back inside and I got some more because that's the buffet that it was and it was wonderful. Do y'all remember Poncho's? What Vividly. great glorious memories do you have of this establishment? So Poncho's was the last kind of establishment in this strip mall in Baton Rouge where everything else had closed, everything else was kind of sketchy, and Poncho's stood strong for a couple of years. <laughs> and every time we went back, and I was a child, I can remember every time we went back, I was a little bit more like, I don't know if I want to eat here. A little bit shady. Yeah, yeah. it just got yeah. shadier and shadier. And one day we went in, and we were the only people in, and there were chips all over the floor. But no one else was in there. So how did the chips get all over the floor? The birds. The birds. <laughs> the birds. That was the last time I remember going to Poncho's, but I loved it. The birds that served you at Poncho's. <laughs> yes, they did. <laughs> Toward the end. Uh, but it all started, Poncho's. Take us back to El Paso, Texas, 1958. Oh. That's where we really get started uh, with Poncho's, and it uh, got started by a guy named of Jesse Arambide Jr. I knew how to say that correctly because I asked someone uh, from Mexico and that's how they say Aram nice. Arambide. I appreciate the pronunciation. You're not like Arambide. <laughs> you gave a little meaning. That's like, how they say in Texas, the gringos, the yeah. cowboy gringos. I'm just going to call you Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> he really started it just serving food out of his family's bar that was called Poncho's. So the bar was called Poncho's, and then he made like a little serving line at the bar, and then people just started showing up night after night to eat at Poncho's. And what he said was that he learned how to make tacos and enchiladas and all different food from his mom. And then while he was in the Navy on a warship in World War II, he learned how to feed the masses. So he knew how to keep his price point mm -hmm. down. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, and then he was able to feed a lot of people for a minimal cost. And if you guys do remember anything about ponchos, if you were a kid, your mom made you be six, even up until the age of 10. Yeah. Yes. When you went to ponchos, if you were under six, you ate free. <laughs> my little brother would always rat out at the table. My parents would say that and he'd be like, I'm eight. <laughs> Ma'am, he has a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> he actually did when he was eight. 
So there you go. He's so, maturing faster. <laughs> so after a few years in his uh, family's bar, he then opens up uh, Los Bendidos de Carlos and Mickey's restaurant. That is a mouthful. It is a mouthful. That's long. Right. And so uh, that was doing well for a while, uh, but he still wanted his dream of finding, um, of starting a Mexican buffet. That was really just a restaurant. He wanted a Mexican buffet. So that is where the ponchos that we know and love and miss today uh, was there. What was your What was your favorite dish? at ponchos, do you remember? The enchiladas. The enchiladas? Yeah. I'm nachos all the way. I was Always a good nachos. Chili Riano fan. Mm. That's where I discovered my love for Chili Riano. So my parents wouldn't let me get the Rianos because I would only eat the middle, I wouldn't eat the pepper. Oh, just the cheese? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what else are you there for? Just... I would eat the breading and I would eat the cheese and I wouldn't eat the pepper and they're like, no. <laughs> No, that's embarrassing. You were making your own nachos out of bread and cheese. Right. Yes. <laughs> My brothers could leave the crust on the table. I couldn't leave the pepper on the table. I think to this day, I still just, any Mexican place to go to, I'm like, I'll just get nachos. Yeah. <laughs> it's just easy. I don't have to think about it. Just give me nachos. It happens. No, I understand that totally. And it's always a good go-to. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to branch out. So not only nachos, they had burritos, uh, flautas, tamales, refried beans. Uh, refried, refried, fried beans. Brains, Dang, dude. This is some good. <laughs> this is some good bourbon. It's the belt. Refried beans, and then they had a vat of guacamole. Do you remember that huge vat that they had that you could just go serve yourself? Guacamole? Didn't trust it. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yes, that was amazing. Um, I still, my mouth still waters today. <laughs> this was before you could even find avocados in a grocery store but somehow they had enough avocado to make all that guacamole and it was not extra like it is now. No, it was not. No. It was great. Yeah, I don't think that guacamole or avocados had the like prestige they had, mm -hmm. you know, back in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s as they do today, uh, for sure. But if you do remember the one of the greatest things about ponchos, one of the most memorable things about ponchos was raising the flag. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that too. You had to get somebody to come over. And you know, you wanted seconds. Oh. You were not full enough. <laughs> you raise the flag, they would come over again, and you would say, I need three more sopapillas, please. <laughs> and uh, a vat of nachos and flautas or enchiladas. And that's how ponchos worked. And that was one of their signature things at ponchos. Not only the Spanish decor that you found, everywhere on the walls and everything like that, but definitely the raising of the flag. And that'll come into play later on in the story. I'll tell you why one business tried to do it, got the kibosh. Ooh. Yes. Okay. And then you could also buy pinatas there. Didn't know if you knew that. I didn't remember that. Yeah. You could buy a pinata. Huh. You couldn't hit it and, you know, kill it there, but you could go and purchase a pinata and then bring it home. Yeah, hold it up, hold it up for him. <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> Fill it with the guacamole. <laughs> All right, so in 1966, Arambide starts Ponchos in El Paso. And it is a great hit, and it's doing so well throughout the 60s and even in the 70s. Uh, they get close to almost 80 Ponchos at one point across the United States, in Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Arizona, and then I think of a couple in Oklahoma as well, all right? Hmm. But then, Arambide, he's got this all-you-can-eat buffet, 
and he's thinking maybe I should branch out a little bit and he starts converting some of his units into like an upscale ponchos buffet and grill all right they got an expanded menu all right they got new decor in there people can come in there and they sit and then they'll so you be choose. served. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here in the New Orleans area, I don't think we ever got the upscale. They knew that we. They we knew. We didn't need the upscale. They knew what we wanted. Yeah. Right. Serve uh, yourself. The first one was actually downtown. Um, that was before our time, I think. The there was one in Metairie, and then there was also one in Chalmette. And Lynn mentioned the one uh, that was in Baton Rouge. I think that was off of Maryland, right? Florida. Florida. Yeah. You knew it was sketchy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's a Christian bookstore now. Get out. Yeah. Mrs. Biff um, lived by the ponchos. I thought so. Was yeah. she uh, a patron? Negative. Why? <laughs> I don't know. Because she's classy. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, not like us. <laughs> I mean, he married up. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she, wouldn't so let, she wouldn't let me go. <laughs> <laughs> so... Arambide has a, uh, a good bit of success with the upscale Macho's restaurant. So he even tries a seafood Mexican restaurant called the Spanish Galleon, uh, but that really didn't work out. Then he tried a different eatery called Imalianos, all right, and that really didn't work out well. So it wasn't until 1979 that Pancho's uh, then failed to turn a profit for the first time. So we then see that now we were hitting, you know, from 1966 to 1979, Poncho's was gangbusters throughout the Southwest uh, in this area. Uh, and then in 1979, Arambide steps down as the CEO, and then another guy named Hollis Taylor takes over, but you really didn't know about him at all. All right, the only company that was keeping pace with Poncho's during the recession of the oil industry bust in the 1980s was Chili's, okay? They're still around today, obviously. Uh, in 1986, Poncho's made a comeback, $2.5 million in profits. They had sales of $43 million in 1985, okay? So they're making a ton of money and they're doing it with this cheap, cheap uh, style of buffets. Do y'all remember how much it cost? No, but if we went, it couldn't have been that much. <laughs> That's true. That's I was going to say, I mean, yeah. For an adult to eat at this buffet, all you can eat, in 1987. $7.99. Not even close. $3.99. $3.99. Challenge accepted. Yes. Damn, I was, I mean, I was going prices right on you. I just was... You were, you were. <laughs> uh, children 6 to 11 ate half price. And those under six, uh, eight for free. Cause I mean, if you got, you got to think about that. I mean, three ninety nine for adults, and they sales of forty three million. Yes, yeah. that is, that's impressive. The line was out the door uh. when I would go. <laughs> like you had to. It was in a strip mall, uh, the one on Vets, and you had to like be by. They had like other offices and stuff, so you'd be standing in front of like a doctor's. Or a dentist's yeah. office waiting to go. Maybe in. I should get my teeth cleaned before I go in here. <laughs> so you'd like, or after. <laughs> you like wait outside. Oh, you better not try to go after Sunday service. But if you think, I mean, you think about it with people with kids, you know. Yeah. Cheat. I mean, have dinner for 15, 20 bucks for everybody. I mean, that's a steal. 
It was. But in the 1990s, uh, got a little rockier for Ponchos. They had a loss of $3.5 million in 1991. And then they tried to go to Colorado. Okay? And when they Is went that to Chipotle Col territory? Uh, maybe so. They went to Colorado, and then they got a different workers' compensation plan, and they just started to to lose. I don't know if this this uh, insurance really <laughs> did them in or what. Uh, a lot of people around here think that Poncho's left because of Katrina, right? We all think, oh, it didn't come back because Katrina, but that really wasn't the case at all. Because yeah. you're thinking they got 77 across the Southwest, and then. Just as of right now, they only have four Poncho's restaurants left. Two in the Houston area, and then two in the Dallas Fort Worth Wait, st they're still today. Still Good for them. But it is not. Can we do the next Brackish podcast in Houston? <laughs> yes. <laughs> From At the buffet. But it's it's not it's not Poncho's as you would remember it, or you or I remember it. It's a franchise that was, you know, Arambide had. Uh, most of it was him. Yeah. When he started to franchise a little bit, when Poncho's itself went under, then those franchises were able to stay afloat and were still able to make um, a good amount of money, probably because they increased the price of their buffets, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Wow. So in 1993, Arambide Jr., he died. Okay, his son then took over the business. Um, like I said, in 90, so in 1994, there were 77 ponchos. And the, now there's four. And now there's four. Crazy. Um, by the end of that year, though, there was, they had lost seven of them. And then ponchos started to get their food from Cisco. Dumps like a truck. The rapper? The kiss of death. <laughs> the kiss of death. And then they raised their prices, all right, to $4.69 for lunch and $4.99 for dinner. Who can afford that? And then $5.49 on the weekend, okay? Whoa. So to offset this price hike, Poncho's marketing team had a great idea. And this was the great idea. We got a commercial, guys. We're gonna put a commercial out there. And we're going to tell the people we're still here. Was Willie Nelson involved? Try raising a flag at a fast food place and see what you get. At Poncho's Mexican Buffet, it'll get you more of the things you love from our all-you-can-eat buffet for just $4.99. We'll bring seconds right to your table. Plus, you get free soup, salads, and dessert bars. So raise a flag at Poncho's. And give up on those other guys. Give nice. up on those other guys. I like a little play. I like I like how you're sticking it to other people. It's wonderful. Good for them. They do not have the price of their buffet online, and that raises a it's, flag for me. It's, it's questionable, okay? <laughs> it is. This commercial, guys, was <laughs> quite successful. It increased sales by 92% year over year for ponchos. 93, Arambide dies. This is in 1994. You know, they lost seven stores because they're losing so much money. And then yeah. bam, those stores, because of this commercial, uh, are doing so well again, all right? But we get to like 1998, $12.5 million loss. Mm. 
they gotta go. They were sold on Nasdaq. Uh, Nasdaq actually, nice. uh, they had to then go to the Nasdaq small cap market. You know, another kiss of death. Can't recover from that one. Uh -uh. Okay. Then in the 2000s, um, they tried a Poncho's Express buffet. Okay. So they wouldn't let it be like a buffet. You kind of got your food and left, and it was $3.99 a person. That kind of worked out for a little bit. Uh, as we know, in this area, Katrina hit. So a lot of the restaurants and businesses around you know, got flooded. And so the one in Chalmette and Metairie were the only ones left at that time, and the one in Baton Rouge as well. Uh, but then over time, Poncho's started to lose some ground. And then it was bought by fast food veteran Stephen Oyster, and he bought it for approximately $7.35 million. And then that's when you really started to see Poncho's fade out. And then by mid-2000s, Poncho's around the areas were closing uh, down. There was only 48 owned and operated. They just started to fizzle because they could not keep up their price point of having such a cheap, cheap buffet, yet keep their employees happy and keep their product good. Hmm. So, it wasn't Katrina that did it in. It was their own... It was their own Durin. Their own Durin. Hubris. Durin. Yeah. Mm. But we still love them and we miss them. So, I, I have two notes here. Okay. And I'd like to just remind everyone that even though we told each other what we were doing a couple months ago, people don't understand that we were going to record this thing and then Hurricane Ida hit and kind of messed everything up for us. So. I forgot what each person was going to talk about. So, but originally, I mean, we always do the thing where we don't tell each other what we're talking about. So these notes that I'm making were live notes. <laughs> One, this guy really missed the mark with Colorado. Legalization of weed. I mean, could have like... Crush it. Yeah, I mean, think about Bring it. Bring it back. He's pro I mean, it's not his fault, but think about if it would have like kept going in Colorado and then when they... Oh, man all you can eat buffet and ponchos. That was one. Two, second note, I wish we were way more famous so we could interview the person who made that commercial. <laughs> Just to talk to them and be like, how much like street cred, if you're still even in acting, like, you'd be like, yeah, that was me on that commercial that boosted the sales to this thing. Oh yeah, everybody was all smiles Oh yeah, in that commercial. Uh, side note, but sad note also, you talked about Hurricane Ida and the reason why we couldn't do this podcast for a while. Uh, there were two guys that worked at Poncho's for many years, and then they started their own restaurant in Kenner called Two Amigos Mexican Buffet. Oh, yes. Well, there so you go. For eight years in Kenner, the Two Amigos Mexican Buffet was running strong. But after covid and hurricane ida did them in oh eight years they had a post september 13th of this year saying oh. thanks for the incredible Jeez. eight years but they will not be reopening and they have not opened oh, in the man. Area. so they still had the same sort of uh plates even you remember those plates that were like plastic and then they had the metal part yeah uh, mm -hmm. but all the food was the exact same it was delicious um I but i would have known this one thing you could not do couldn't raise a flag. They didn't have a flag uh. because it was a poncho's like trademark to raise the flag to get someone to come over. So they had little like tap lights. So you tap it and the light would shine uh, and then yeah. your waitress would come over 
and that was well, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. <sighs> Sweet. That's Again, it. I had no idea that Knock was going to transition from to that story. So that was just a kind of weird situation that happened. Yeah, Hurricane Ina. Live situation. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> had no, we did not prepare for that. That's all I'm saying. But you already told everyone that we were supposed to do this months ago. So sure. In theory, we should have prepared. We should have. <laughs> but we did not. But we, yeah. No. Everything works out for a reason. <sighs> not in Poncho's favor. Not, yeah. <laughs> not in any of their favors no. today. I didn't do anyone any favors. No. Poncho met his match, you know, on the deserts down in Mexico. Nobody heard his dying word. Oh, but that's the way. we have three that we're gonna do but one of my favorite ain't there no mores uh was celebration station uh you could you could go-kart you could putt-putt you could arcade you could run around like a kid your parents would leave you there for six hours with twenty dollars and you would just have the time of your life all day Celebration station for Sunburnt, me. Sunburn, didn't drink a lick of water, mm-hmm. drank the soda straight from the fountain. <laughs> yes. Dude, what was it before that? There was like fun time. Oh, fun yeah. City, something like, you're talking about the one off airline? Yes. No, no, the one, yeah, the one off of uh, Vets in the interstate. Okay. Uh, and then there was Funworks. Do you remember Funworks? No, I was I in Baton Rouge remember. then. Okay, Funworks was a, a different breed. It was. Like, uh, you could climb up this huge net. It was kind of like a huge children's museum. but that with like safe. No, it, it was absolutely not safe, I'm sure. the. Um, it made us who we are. The, yeah, it did. <laughs> it definitely did. Um, the kids these days. I don't know why, but it always brings back memories of that Joey Lawrence song. Whoa. Whoa. You remember when he had the, like, top 40 hit? Oh, my hit? God. Oh, that was great. Everyone I do. I was in love with that boy. <laughs> that was great. I, I mean, I was in love with that boy, <laughs> too. You could be in love with his hair. That's good. Always. I mean. And then now, poor guy. And he doesn't guy. have any hair yeah, now. Yeah, poor guy. That's a, that's a theme really? with guys with great hair uh, in their younger years. <laughs> they just lose it. Maybe that's the product. Amazing. It might be the product. Maybe. Yeah. Might have been the cocaine. <laughs> hair products, cocaine. <laughs> Combination. <laughs> You think yeah, ranch takes some years off your life? <laughs> yeah. You know when you hear you know when you hear in the news about some study that's going on, you're like, that's stupid. Why don't they do a study on hair products mixed with cocaine and see why if anyone who used that back in the nineties, eighties, why they've lost hair. All that see if there's a rave a hair spray. What was yeah. the gel? LA works gel. Oh yeah. Oh. See if just there's a correlation between cocaine hair gel and see if those molecules and whatever mixed together and <laughs> gone. Bald heads. I love that. That's you had, a study I want to see. I, I love that you had levels of stickiness uh-huh. in the LA works. It was like light, and it was like yeah. your hair won't move for weeks. 
even after you wash it three times. Wait, is LA Works still around? Or oh is, have we stumbled upon a, a Dare No More product? I don't know. That's yeah. That's that gotta be. We gotta fi us. like find a dollar fact general because yeah, that's where check. you will find it. Send us. Just say it's still around. Yeah, fact check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just tired of seeing studies. It's like if you eat more than three hot dogs in one sitting, you're probably gonna have heart problems. Yeah, like, we know. Why would oh, no you eat hot we dogs know. in one why sitting? Are you like, paying, why? Yeah. Why are you paying Northwestern University to give me that information? I understand that. Right. And I'm gonna eat them anyway. Yeah. So I don't care. Two cups of coffee, you might have colon problems. We know. Yeah, we get it. Yeah. I'm on the toilet 30 minutes later. Yeah. Understandable. We get it. Give me the studies that matter. Cocaine hair products. Blow my mind. No. Stanford, your move. I guess we'll go to story number two. I'm going to talk about a company called Katz and Besthoff Limited. Oh. Better known as. Do you know what it is? Yeah. <laughs> K&B. All right. My nice. mom worked at K&B. Did she? Yeah, she did. Oh. She's got some stories. On a sixth day of Christmas, we stopped at K&B's for a six-pack of Dixie. My grandmother, when K&B closed, she stole a basket. It's still in her backyard. Good oh, for her. It's still in her backyard. Today. eBay, they probably eat that. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Yeah, she'd probably make a thousand dollars. Oh my gosh, I easy. I find some ponchos place on eBay. <laughs> you probably could. You probably could just go to that place. <laughs> no, I don't want the new ones. <laughs> no, they were old as dirt. They were still yeah. in their old place. <laughs> so, Cats and Best Off Limited, better known as K&B. Uh, it was a drugstore chain eventually that was headquartered in New Orleans throughout much of the 20th century and 1011 Canal Street was home to one to eventual 186 storefronts. Mm. Oh. So in 1905, Gustav Katz and Sidney Besthoff, Gustav Katz was a New Orleans pharmacist and Sidney Besthoff uh, was a drugstore owner from Memphis, Tennessee. So in 1905, they had this idea to come together and opened the Katz and Besthoff drugstore at 732 Canal Street, which present day, if you go there, is a footlocker. And if you street view it, you can quite possibly catch a homeless person pooping. Okay. I'm not going to say that's a fact, but if you look at the street view, there's a good squat going on. I mean, if you go there today, there's probably a good <laughs> squat going on. Yeah, I mean, live. If you want to see live or, or you know, whatever, it's fine. Yes. Our homeless so, population is a problem. <laughs> I'm going to ask Nock and Lynn, how much do you think they each put up to start that business? Oh. In what year? In 1905. 500 bucks. <sighs> $6,000. This, did this guy read? Did he find it out? Yeah. So, 500 it? bucks. Nice. Each. Each? So, in today's money, I looked it up. That's around fifteen thousand five hundred. Okay, but that's, still, that's not a lot of money to start a business. I no. still don't have it. I, I can yeah. on Canal. Yeah, especially on Canal Street. Yeah. How well, about I, don't I know? Did someone about, just poop there? That might affect yeah. the retail value. How about I give you ten dollars? You let me just poop in front of the store. 
you know, gathering people's poop, that's now like pharmaceutical itself. <laughs> Probiotics. Yeah. Take take that. Take my, my sample and go study it. Uh, so as you may as anyone local may know that they were very known for their signature purple branding. And so according to a story, uh, according to a story, the early 19th century retailers used to wrap customer purchases in paper and tie it into a bundle so they could carry it home. Well, in 1911, Sydney Besthoff's wife, she was shopping to buy wrapping paper to do this for the drugstore. And almost all the wrapping paper she was looking for was very, was expensive or she didn't want to pay that much money. She was looking, I mean, it was a startup business, right? So she saw this purple wrapping paper that was on sale and she just swiped as much as she could. It's a very particular shade of purple too. It's Correct. like yeah. if lavender got sunburned. Yeah. I mean, think about if you, if, if you were trying to you start a business. Plumish? Yeah. But faded. Like if yeah. Pl yeah. a plum yeah. left out in the sun yeah. to fade. Yeah. Yeah. But she was just like, I mean, it was, it was almost like an investment. Right, like, oh, chance. this is cheap. This like, is cheap. I'm a, yeah, I'm going to cheat. Let's see if it works. Yeah. So she returned to the store with it, and they loved it. And soon the purple paper became the slogan. If it's purple on the outside, it's only the best from Cats and Besthoff on the inside. It works. It works so well. Tragically, 15 years later, Sidney Besthoff died of a heart attack at the age of 54, and his son, Sidney Besthoff III, became more involved in the business. 14 years later, Gustav Katz passed away. So the original duo passed away. In 1940, the Besthoffs from Memphis bought out the Katz family stake in the business. So at this point on from 1940, the Besthoffs took over. So by 1955, uh, after 50 years in the business, KB operated 18 stores. And in 1960s, they, with all this growth, they had the company headquarters that were located at 900 Camp Street in New Orleans. They relocated to the larger offices at 1055 St. Charles. And um, so that's where they headquartered everything until, I'll get into that. New office space uh, was leased from the John Hancock Insurance Company can be purchased the building, the same building as St. Charles Avenue, from John Hancock and renamed the site KB Plaza. So for that long, in 1970s, it was KB Plaza for the longest time. And then here comes, we're at the peak, and then now we're we're dropping. We're coming down. Because it ain't there no the more. peak? I mean, it was peaking throughout the 70s, right. 80s, 90s. Okay. But I think at some point, who knows? I didn't, there wasn't a lot of information on how the, how everything was going with the company. I tried to look up all the stuff. There's not a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Obviously with seven, who knows? I mean, it just depends on who researched at the time with the internet and all that. Or like, who puts on the internet. Right. I'm mm -hmm. sure if I talk to the best Because it would be 30 years later history. I said, yeah. mm -hmm. if we were a more, uh, if we were more famous, I could have gotten Sydney on the line and we could have talked to him about what was going on in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> Eventually in 1997, Rite Aid came to the table 
and purchased the entire chain. But by that time when they purchased it, they had 186 stores and it was in Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee. So I'm not saying things were bad. I don't know if the best offs were looking to just not deal with it anymore or or if things were going down and Rite Aid was bailing them out. I don't, that information I couldn't find. Um, but interestingly enough, the best off family still occupies the offices at St. Charles Avenue, the same place. And now the granddaughters or great granddaughters, they manage real estate. There's art collections and other family stuff that they yeah. do. At that oh, place. so they did get a boatload of money from Rite Aid. Yeah, they did. <laughs> of course. Okay. We're yeah, Rite Aid didn't. Yeah, yeah. We're now gonna collect art and maybe buy some real estate. So since selling K and B, the, the the best offs have done a lot of philanthropic stuff around New Orleans area, and they actually donated the vacated uh, headquarters at Camp Street to form the NOLA Contemporary Arts Center. They've donated a lot of artworks and a lot of it, if you go to City Park now, they have the Sydney and Walter Besthoff Sculpture Garden. That's that's the name. There you okay. go. I'm like, I know that name. Yeah. Oh my God, y'all, the Sculpture Garden. If you, when you come to New Orleans, you gotta go to City Park, you have got to go through that Sculpture Garden. It is fantastic. It's been really good the I've like been, three years. Oh man. Mrs. When Biff we did our I first been, podcast by the Oaks, we did. it was not nearly what it is today. No. And Mrs. Biff and I have been twice. The only thing is, if you're out of town, great, go. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure you're not bringing your dogs or your I know, they don't pets. let your puppies in. Yeah, if you're local, they don't allow you to. So if you walk, if you like to go to the city park and walk your dogs or whatever, that's fine. But you can't bring your dogs into the sculpture. Well, look, if you're local and you've been through the sculpture garden and you're like, yeah, I get it. There's the spider, there's the human centipede, whatever, whatever. If you haven't gone canoeing through City Park yet, it oh, takes yeah. you through the Sculpture Garden. That is a whole different way to see it. It is fantastic. Yeah, it's a pretty neat little area. We've done it a couple of times. It's yeah. cool in like good weather, good weather days. Well, and you can go to either of the museums and get yourself the drinky drink and walk through the Sculpture Garden. Just don't pee in the Sculpture Garden. That's why the no. that's why the animals aren't let in. Don't let don't make yourself an animal and pee in the Sculpture Garden. Dude, I've been sitting here trying to rack my brain. Like, where do I know that name from? And exactly. that's what it is. Yeah. yeah, so it's now, it's gone and ain't there no more. But if you go online, eBay, there's K&B everywhere. They got, people have the brown bags. Yeah. That they bought, that we carried home with them. It's just empty brown bags. You have. They had their own liquor line, huh? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. They have. So you have t-shirts, refrigerator magnets, cups, coasters. You could buy everything at this store. Just think about your modern day. Like any, if anybody goes into a Walgreens and you're like, oh, there's booze, there's wine, there's plates, there's obviously medication, but candy, all that's, that's K&B was mm -hmm. that. I mean, um, Knox it's a gave one my kid a K&B shirt. Yeah. And he wears that thing all the time. The one-stop shop is what they called it, you know. And that's what the that's what Rite Aid is now. That's what mm -hmm. Walgreens, CVS. It's everything. And the and so I got a little little tidbits for you. The purple print ads caused the Times Picayune to be the nation's largest user of purple pink, purple ink. Oh wow! <laughs> because they Love printed it. in purple in the Times Picayune. And so if anybody doesn't really know K&B, K&B was kind of like, I'm not going to say it was the first 
Costco, but they had their own brand. I mean, it was mm -hmm. K&B pharmacy items. They had K&B beverages, non-alcoholic. They had their own whiskey called Sir Sydney, and they were very well known for their ice cream, K&B ice creams. That was um, the best. And y'all, they had the ice cream right there by the checkout. Oh, yeah. So as a kid, and it was eye level <laughs> to a kid. And you could not get through the checkout with your no. mama without going, but mama. It was what, $1.99 <laughs> for a tub of ice cream? How oh, could yeah. you say no? And they had, yeah, they would fit, they, their, they called it a flat fit. They put that ice cream right there. They put it right there because the they knew. They knew what they were doing. A great yeah. Mm. So they they had the the little ice cream came in this they called it the flat fifth because it's shaped in these little tiny freezers at the front. Yeah. And that started in the 1930s and 40s. And some of the favorite flavors that I looked up: cherry vanilla, cream cheese, and of course they were wrapped in purple. Obviously. Of course. And to anyone listening um, to our seven followers. Uh, <laughs> There is a there's a 34 minute video on YouTube of just K&B commercials back to back. But there also is a great uh, ice cream commercial from 1992 that's on YouTube as well. And uh, from the locals, I heard that when I mean, because I'm in my 30s, late 30s, but what they like, I mean, we were what 12 when they sold it to Rite Aid, yeah. so. Mm -hmm. Um, everyone older than us used to say, they used to say, we're going to KB's. They wouldn't call it KB. That's oh, a really? local thing. And also, KB had its own beer. I heard from an unconfirmed source, aka my co worker, aka Teddy from the Pearl, <laughs> that the KB beer was Dixie beer, but KB, I guess, I guess they had a deal with them that they would put it on the shelves. And wrap it with the KMB logo. They on Kirkland it. that shit up. They Kirkland the crap out of it. So, yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, a lot, but but if you think about it, KMB Dixie Beer local, they helped the local situation out. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the you know the agreement was, but in order to sell the Dixie Beer, they put the KMB logo on, and boom, there you go. I mean, everybody split the profits. Still making money. Local, I mean, right. yeah. On eBay, local right businesses now. helping local businesses. On eBay right now, people are selling their pill bottles from KMB for $6. Amazing, right? Now, someone has a vintage pad hemorrhoid box oh. for $425. Whoa. A, a brown paper bag, $10. So if anybody who's got terrible hemorrhoids and wants to remember <laughs> KMB said, I, you know what? I had hemorrhoids 40 years ago. Go and on eBay. Me. <laughs> Selling matchboxes. They got plastic bags. It's the amazing. Plastic the plastic bag was 99 cents. What a steal. It's yep. amazing the amount of stuff they still have. People online. love it. It's crazy. I didn't really, I mean, you know, when I was, I was looking at all of the stuff, it, it was hard to find. You couldn't find a lot of things on Gustav Katz and Sydney Bestall. The, the creators are original owners, uh -huh. but like the legacy, or legacy, I guess you say, like, look at all the eBay stuff and how much people cherish the stuff that that was mm -hmm. still there. I mean, you see things, uh, I've seen things that from other companies that they keep, you know, different 
stuff, but I mean, this is like. But it's like because who keeps you, a brown your daddy bag there. Yeah, it's yeah. not just a cultural thing. Yeah. This is a cultural thing. Who keeps the brown bag or K and B that was? I don't know. I mean, who steals a shopping, a shopping cart? <laughs> My grandma. Yeah. Well, kudos My to her. grandma Shout is out the, to her. She's angel. They'll call her Saint Judy when she passes. I promise you. All right. She's but like she stole. She's gonna get buried in that yes. shopping cart. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're gonna roll her into the Mississippi. She's the old lady that drives her old lady friends to the doctor. Oh. That's my grandma. <laughs> Judy. Mm -mm. My lord. I won't tell nobody where she is. But yeah. I asked her about it. I said, Grandma, you know, people probably buy that shopping cart back there. She said, I know, but it's mine. <laughs> you can make so she did a little dirty deed to right. serve others in the long run. Right. I don't care. God will forgive her. It's Good for her. Yeah. It's going to be your inheritance, Ryan. Ooh. We're sitting on a gold mine here. You need to make Maybe sure that... that's like in the will, that the shopping cart goes to you. Otherwise, you got to take a piece of tape and write your name on it and put it on the underside of the card. My sister yeah. gets the Christmas town. Yeah. Get... You get the yeah. K&B cart. Listen, yes. yes. <laughs> we're going to take that K&B cart, Parlay it into a liquor store. That's Ooh, what we're gonna. Yes. That's it. That's it. And then we're gonna. Then we're gonna open a chain of liquor store. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take the K and B deal. Bam. Boom. Parlay it. Boom. We're gonna open 186 liquor stores southeast. Love it. And then sell them, and then buy art. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sell it. Buy art. Just tell. Tell and then Walda, you buy the shopping cart back, yeah. and it's the first sculpture. We're gonna say <laughs> in your yeah. sculpture garden. Sydney and Walda, sorry, we've got a. Whole art garden, twice the size that you got. It's called the. We're we gonna, yeah. The brackish, the brackish garden. garden. And we're gonna put all our sculptures on the top of their. At KMB story, my mama's favorite KMB story to tell is that she was a cashier at KMB, and she was checking people out, and she had a real long line, and she was the only one there because her coworker, who always calls in, called in. Surprise. Yeah. What? Okay. Old so, school. So old landline. school. Like landline called in. Hello. So my mom's checking people out. And from the middle of the K&B, you hear this old man yell, help, help, somebody help me. And my mom was like ready to go see because she's expecting this man to be on the ground, heart attack, something, something, whatever. The lady she's checking out is like, oh no, 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 no. You got to finish checking me out because I've been waiting. <laughs> so my mama does it, throws the change at the old lady, goes to find this man. This man is in the liquor aisle screaming, help, help. Because their brand of whiskey, the K&B whiskey, was out of stock. Oh. And he couldn't find it. And she said he was not homeless. He was clean. And he needed his whiskey. Oh, my. She was pissed. Oh. Right. Listen, that man's right, okay? <laughs> the customer is always right. He used a tactic and to get worked. her, and it worked. And it worked. <laughs> <laughs> good friend. He's like, you know what? I'm in a drugstore. I'm gonna yell like I'm fucking dying in here, and we're gonna get this. And we're gonna, I'm gonna get my. We're gonna whiskey. get the situation is gonna be handled really quick. Specifically, the KB. <laughs> he was like, I looked around. There's only one fucking person working here. So I'm making the whole, She got a long line. What is this? A Home Depot? <laughs> Somebody. <laughs> I may need to do that in Home Depot next oh time. And that, <laughs> maybe they'll. Yeah. We need Chick-fil-A to take over everybody's training. <laughs> Everybody. My pleasure. <laughs>
My pleasure. <gasps> All right, so story two. Okay. Shopping cart. Yes. Right. For five days now, there has been a shopping cart on my corner. It was an ideal market. It is an ideal market shopping cart. Ooh. When it arrived five days ago, it was empty and the wheels were locked. You know how they have that anti-theft stuff on it now, right? So wheels are locked. How the shopping cart got from the ideal market a mile and a half away from my house to the corner, I don't know. No one touches it. The next day I wake up, I bring my kid to school. There is a fryer, not a fry daddy. That's too nice. Uh -huh. An off-brand fryer in the shopping cart. Okay. Ain't nobody touch it. <laughs> mm. It's been five days and people have added shit to that shopping cart. <laughs> and it's not like, oh, I'm finished with my beer. Let me throw it away. Somebody put the boxes from Costco that you put your groceries in. There's oh, a couple of those no. in there. There's a soccer ball in there now. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's like one of those uh, potholes. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Like a lost and found for the neighborhood. I don't know. Uh, but it's still there. I wish I would have taken a picture of it every day so I could have documented it. These are the stories that tell. <laughs> you know, too, like, I, I, I commend my grandmother for doing what she did because every time I see a shopping cart that's not where it's supposed to be, I'm like, who did that? Do I need that? I want to know how far away the KMB was from your grandma's house. Oh, I would say four or five blocks. Yeah. Not oh, okay. So she did. She, she did. Yeah, she she did New York Manhattan okay. style. Instead of yeah buying her own shopping cart, she just took it yeah. and said, "I go here enough. I'm going to bring it back." <laughs> Anybody I'm gonna go shop. Bring, yeah. I'm bringing it back and forth, and if somebody gonna tell me something, I don't give a shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. good for her. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. I kind of love is like the Willy Wonka. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> are we talking about the 70s like acid trip Willy Wonka? Or are we talking about the more recent always, Depp? Always Gene Wilder. Thank yeah, you. Gene always. Wilder for sure, but there's a freaking The Timothy Chalamet one. Yeah, there's a new My one. My kids are obsessed with him, and I think he looks like a tiny little pony boy. It's just called Wonka, right? That's the new know. one. I, I, I don't blocked know. him from all of my phone acknowledging that he exists. I just, you know what? <laughs> Everyone should aspire to be Grandpa Joe. It's just, oh, yeah. don't give uh, a shit. No, that and is creepy. Let me get old so I can I'm sit ass to ass with my in-laws. Yes. <laughs> but then. Until. But then. <laughs> candy. <laughs> my legs work. How does that work? Yeah. <sighs> Golden tickets gear everything. Did you know that Roll Doll? <laughs> he went to an all boys school in England and his all-boys school was the test group for Cadbury. Like Cadbury would come up with new product and send it to his all-boys school and they would provide feedback for the new product oh, lines. So that's how we got the idea, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I know. Oh, love their commercials. Yeah. Love. Love a good Easter commercial when the Cadbury egg comes out. I like Easter commercials much more than Christmas commercials.
because Easter commercials still stay in their lane and <laughs> know when the hell they're supposed to start. I saw a Christmas commercial two weeks ago. It was the Hershey commercial. And I was like, oh no, no, you little Hershey chocolate bells. Yeah. No. It's too soon. Too soon. I, I, I think that everyone's rushing to be first. Kind of like our society these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like us. We've never done that. We've never made a mistake ever. No. No. For sure not. <laughs> All right. You ready to talk about Samane Dare No More? Yes. Up next, we are going to talk about Schwegman Brothers Giant Supermarkets. Schwegman. Better known as the Schwegman, or depending on what neighborhood you're from, the Schwagman. Okay. Right. <laughs> so Schwegman's is a now defunct grocery store that uh, served mostly the greater New Orleans area, branched out to a lot of Louisiana, but stayed in Louisiana until 1997. It is the predecessor to what we now call big box stores, things like your Walmarts and Sam's and stuff like that. They were kind of the first of their kind. And it was started by a German immigrant named Garrett Schwegman, who returned to New Orleans after fighting for the Union in the Civil War. He married a lady who, uh, whose family owned a grocery store. So he started working in a grocery store for his father-in-law and ended up eventually opening up his own corner grocery store in the French Quarter. People argue about where this first grocery store was, but it was probably at uh, Dauphine and Dumaine, kind of on the back of town side of the French Quarter, close to the interstate, right there. Um, so he opened up a grocery store around there and then kind of bounced in and out of the grocery store business. He had his hands in other things. He would always come back to it. His son also did the same thing. He worked at a small corner kind of mom and pop grocery store. And eventually Garrett Sr. and Garrett Jr. joined forces and they opened up a Schwegman's grocery store that was located on Piety Street. And this was in 1895. Dang. So going way, way, way back. back. So let's put ourselves in the mindset of the French Quarter in 1895. There's a reason the French Quarter streets are all one way because it's a horse and cart style street everything is still small the quarter proper is still mostly neighborhood so you're talking about corner stores that aren't like a liquor store with underripe bananas and oranges calling themselves a grocery store it's like a corner store but they're also those old-timey stores where everything is bought on credit like people pay you know you put it on your tab and then once a month you would pay off your grocery tab it was full service not self-service so you would go in with your list you give them the list and they would do all the shopping for you put it all together kind of thing what ended up happening is garrett jr bought the store from his daddy and had his two brothers help him run the store and what they did is they flipped everything on their head what they did was they started to offer multiple options per product so they expanded the product line it just wasn't what it wasn't just a barrel of flour there were several brands of flour kind of thing uh, they offered delivery 
because back in horse and cart days, like you were saying with K&B, people had to tie up their packages to bring it home so they would deliver it to you. And they also offered an option for people to choose self-service. If you did your own shopping, you got 10% off of your bill. And that set the precedent for the Schwegmans brand where they didn't put themselves first, they always put the customer first by offering more product options, by offering you cheaper prices, but still the same quality delivering to you. It was always about customer first, customer first, customer first. Um, what they also did was they were the first kind of grocery store to branch out beyond dry goods and such. They had fresh baked goods, they had seafood, they had game meat. So you didn't have to go to the butcher, to the baker, and to a grocery. You could get everything in one spot. Hmm. So they kind of set the precedent for that. Were they the first one in the country doing this? Maybe. Okay, okay, all right, all right. I do like the, the if you shop for yourself, 10% off, you know, your move, Rouse's. Yeah. yeah. Your move, Whole Foods. Because <laughs> Whole Foods, you can now tell people to shop for you and they bring it to your house. Right. So Which now, I appreciate. Give me, give me a damn bargain for going to the store. <laughs> um, one other thing about this original grocery store that Garrett Jr. opened that set a precedent is they also bought the property directly next to their grocery and opened a bar. Oh. Right. So they had the grocery right next to the bar. Like, honey, I gotta go grocery uh, shopping. You're going grocery shopping, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going grocery shopping. Sit your ass down, girl. I'm gonna Sit get... your ass down. All right. So this started off, you know, post-Civil War. We're talking late 1860s, 1870s. Then the son and his brothers jump in 1895 or so. We flash forward 45 years and the nephew of Garrett Schwagman Jr. has a revelation. Now this kid, John Gerald Schwagman, uh, has already been profitable in banking and in real estate. He's got his finger on the pulse and he realizes that America is about to change drastically because of one single technological advance, the automobile. People don't need deliveries anymore. They don't need to get only their groceries for the day because that's all they can carry. They can come to the store and with those big old cars, they got trunks and you can fill that trunk up with as many groceries as you can buy. So he gets in on the game with his uncle to build a grocery store that can accommodate that citizen and that customer that has access to automobile transportation. So what they do in 1943, is purchased land at the corner of Elysian Fields and St. Claude Avenue for $18,000. If you're from New Orleans, that should, that should scratch an itch at the back of your head. You're like, I know that corner, what's at that corner? What's opposite that corner was Jean's Po' Boys, this Pepto-Bismol pink place where Beyonce herself will get a Po' Boy every time she came into town, where they opened this Schwegman store now has a fancy Robert Fresh Market, but they purchased this property for $18,000. They got set to build, but because of World War II, supplies were limited, so they had to halt production or construction for a little bit. Flash forward three years to 1946. These guys have been doing most of the construction themselves because they had to take out the loan the $18,000 loan for the land. They had to piecemeal it waiting for supplies to come in. And eventually three years later, 
they opened this 16,000 square foot store. That was unprecedented. The average grocery store size in America was only 10,000 square feet. And at 16,000 square feet, people told them, you're crazy, you're never gonna turn a profit. It turned out to be about a dollar 50 a square foot, which just seemed ridiculous to anybody investing any money in anything. But that's exactly why John Jay wanted to build it himself. He knew it was a stretch. He had to keep overhead low. He did a lot of it himself. And when he opened it up in 1946, he knew the way this was gonna be profitable is to make this brand all about the customers, just like his uncle had done. Which is amazing to me because now it's, they thought about how cars would make people come to the stores. Now people are using <laughs> other, and other people's was, cars to get the groceries. His name them. was John Gerald. So mm -hmm. what, what went in my head was John Gerald Schwagmanheimer Schmidt. <laughs> sorry. That's what stupid stuff goes through my head. Anyway, Lynn, I'm sorry. Continue. Um, he was quoted <laughs> as describing his business model as a business model that emphasized everyday low prices, rapid turnover of inventory, and one-stop shopping. That was a big deal for them. At the same time, he reiterated that his commitment to exclusively serving the market of the greater New Orleans metropolitan area was his priority. He had been approached after this several times to go nationwide, and every time he said, no, I don't yeah. need your money, I don't need your expansion, because the way he wanted to run his company, he knew he had to keep it local to keep it loyal. It wouldn't work on a larger market. So the first store had a liquor department. And before this, people did not do that. There was a liquor store for liquor. At first, they only sold beer. Eventually, they sold liquor. And they chose to do it as self-service and at a discount which was really upsetting to the liquor industry. We'll Wait, what do you, what you mean you, you go into a liquor store yourself and then get it? And then get it off the shelf and bring it to the register. And bring it to the, oh, so that was like appalling. To yes. People. Oh, because you oh. they had a guy like, oh, I'll go get you a vodka. Right, that's on the shelf. Well, well, like you go into a Rouse's right now and they got all the liquor behind the shelf and ain't uh, nobody at that register. Right. 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 So yeah. it was that. You gotta wait for Samantha to come over. No, you gotta go in the regular <laughs> cash register line and she's like, well, I guess I'll go get it well, for you. I mean, they do have some stuff, but it's like, I don't want that stuff. I want the stuff want behind, the, behind the, the counter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the fact that they had a self-service liquor section in the 1940s was a big old <gasps> and a tremendous draw. Yeah. People loved it, right? The store would also do things like over the loudspeaker, they would announce phone calls for the customers. Mm -hmm. They would announce that a customer's taxi had arrived. So you knew your taxi was there. And they would announce special merchandise sales. Like you, I don't know if y'all remember the Kmart blue light specials where the lady would come on the intercom at Kmart yeah, and be yeah. like, Attention Kmart customers, the blue light special in the blah, 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 blah. Right. Like toilet paper is now $5.99. And it was like for an hour, right? Yeah. yeah. That was a Schwegman's thing. They started oh, that. wow. Right? Nice. They were also the first grocery store in the nation to have multiple departments that sold non-grocery goods, including over-the-counter drugs, cosmetics, hardware, sporting goods, housewares, and 
They had a snack bar. Thank you, Costco. Nice. I didn't yeah. realize sporting goods. First, interesting. Mm -hmm. first instance. Yeah. Yep. The initial store <laughs> prided themselves on having a total of 250 shopping carts. Hmm. Boasted. Um, then they had to pay somebody to come pick them up. Yeah. Yes. 200 of which are in people's front yards. <laughs> backyard. It's in her backyard. Yeah, backyard. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, depending on how, how you're oriented to the store. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you got to keep it on your front porch. You got to go out every day. You know? I mean, you might as well. Right. Yeah. So the first store was a financial success almost immediately. By 1955, the store had an annual sales of $5.13 per square foot. Compare that to the national average of $4.25 per square foot. And in the grocery business, margins are slim as is because you're offering so much fresh, you know you're going at a loss out the gate. So for them to be almost a dollar more per square foot and 6,000 feet larger than the average grocery business was a huge deal. Um, it further had a sale of $13.17 per transaction, which was nearly double the national average in 1955. Yeah. Nice. Part of that was because they had a parking lot. Yeah, By I was going to ask you about that. They have to have a... They had a parking lot. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Expansion-wise, in 1950, they opened a second supermarket. So they opened their first one in 1946. Second one opened in 1950. And this one was exceptionally large for its time. This one was located at 2701 Airline Highway in the Jefferson Parish suburb, which was, you know, big deal. Uh, this store, now the first one was 16,000 square feet. This second store, take a guess. 30,000. Not even close. 50,000. Not even close. 80. 84,000 square feet. Four times larger than what any retailer. The design of this massive store, there's a name for the facade. It's a quonset. Quonset. Ain't nobody know what a quonset is. It looks like three big arches. It looks like three big airline hangers smushed together. They managed this 84,000 square foot facility by installing minimal heating, because we don't need that in Louisiana. Instead, they installed this cooling system on this $84,000 warehouse as a water cooling structure where you had water that would go over the roof and keep the whole thing cool to combat the heat and humidity, which also meant that they could provide more fresh options because they could keep the temperature so cool and you're not paying for it so much. So they could do what? Keep the prices low. Boom. Right. Boom. And for anyone listening that's a nerd that knows this, an acre is 43,560 square feet. So that's almost two acres. How two many football fields is that? Stores? Two acres, almost two acres of a How many football warehouse. fields is that? I don't know. I was we'll just telling you. We'll figure it out. I'm well, telling I'm the not... story. You do the math. <laughs> no, I just told you the math. <laughs> new math. I just <laughs> tell me new math. Lynn wants new math. I, I was telling her old math. Field math. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I need something I can understand. This is exactly why we say we don't tell her everyone we're talking about. If I'd have known you wanted new math, I'd have given you new math. <laughs> I gave you old math. <laughs> <laughs> now see. 
So this 84,000 square foot <laughs> store boasted proudly a parking lot for 2,000 cars. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and they filled it, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, in 1952, that store opened the first, first in the country in-store pharmacy that would sell you prescription drugs. Nice. There it is. <laughs> Swagman. The next major store they opened was in the Gentilly neighborhood. If you're from, if you are looking at New Orleans geography, that's between the French Quarter and the lake. Ish. Yeah. Gentilly. This was a two-story oh. grocery store with a parking garage on top. Oh, uh, damn. Um, this was a massive undertaking. And Mr. Schwegman did not want to go into debt for this. So instead of taking out a lot of loans, they instead sold bonds. And they sold them in small enough denominations that the customers who wanted that store could buy these bonds to fund the, the Schwegmans in their own neighborhood. So, Pete, so again, feeding into the community, feeding into the loyalty, feeding into that like, Brandness, you help build this store, so come buy the groceries here. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this one also included uh, a barber shop, a dentist office, a shoe shine spot, a jewelry store, an eye care center. Sam Walton, you are an asshole. <laughs> yeah, you did. Missed the mark. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse my French. What these stores really ended up becoming, and I found this online. I want to say it was Reddit. It might have been Tiger Droppings. I won't take credit for it, but I will repeat it. We will always give credit to Tiger Droppings. <laughs> Someone called the Gentilly Schwegmans a yat-a-palooza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what a yat is, I, I, I can give a definition, but I feel like everybody got a definition of a yat. So what these stores ended up becoming was really a community spot and a meeting place. And if you do go on message board type places like Tiger Droppings or like Reddit, People remember their mamas dragging them to Schwegmans. They remember their grandmas dragging them to Schwegmans because it was the first kind of one-stop shop. Your mama or your grandma could go make their groceries, which is how people say it here. We don't go grocery shopping. We make our groceries. That's part of that Italian Sicilian heritage. We're in actually in French and in Italian, you make, you don't go grocery shopping. So we make our groceries here. So they could make their groceries. Their sto these stores also ended up including banks. They included gasoline stations. Some of them had travel agencies. You could pay your utility bills there, which mean you save money on stamps. You didn't have to pay that three cent stamp back in the day. Mamas would spend hours shopping with their friends in this 84,000 square foot grocery store. Your daddy or your grandpa would come along too because there were bars in the grocery stores. Love it. You could get a draft beer for 15 cents. You could get a highball drink for 90 cents. And you could smoke your lucky strikes throughout the whole store. So just imagine your grandpa with an old fashioned and a lucky strike 
throwing shit into your grandma's shopping cart while they grocery shopping. Sounds incredible to it's me. It's like an experience. And that's exactly what it was. That's why people called it a yadapalooza because people would just congregate there and they would gather there. Kids would roll around the whole thing because you could get samples at all the different departments. Like the seafood department was at the front of all the stores. So you could pick out whatever seafood you wanted. They would fillet your fish, they would shuck your oysters. And as you went to the cashier, you could collect your fresh seafood and go through the cashier and whatnot. Um, one thing that I read that kids like to do a whole lot was they would go look for the weird stuff like lion meat in a can interesting, or popcorn that was pink, purple, and orange, the kernels. There were all sorts of unusual products like that. Schwegman's was also the first grocery store to do those end caps where you've got random products on the aisle and they would purposely put things in the wrong section. Like if you just came down the cereal aisle, you wouldn't expect potted meat to be at the, on the end cap at the end of the aisle. It's called scramble marketing where you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. I didn't know I wanted it, but it's there now. Right. Let me get it. Yeah. They were also famous for things like their po'boys. Everyone wanted a po'boy. The whole grocery store would smell like fresh French bread because they made their own French bread there. They were very famous for it. I do remember so that. So often you would go make your groceries. Your grandpa would be lit when you left and everybody wanted a po'boy <laughs> by the end of this because your grandma was not cooking after dealing with his drunk ass. <laughs> it was whole experience. And then when you left the grocery store, you didn't even have to bring the cart out to your car. They had something called cart parking, where you would leave your cart in a particular spot and you could get your car, bring it around to the cart and load your car up that way. That way no one would walk off with the grocery carts. They all stayed close to the store. Oh. Yeah. It appealed to that new automotive consumer as well because the carts weren't in the parking lot where they could damage your car as well. We respect you as a customer. The carts stay here, your cars stay there. Yeah. See, I think this could thrive now. I, re I really do. We could do that again. I think we could. Like get drunk while shopping? Hell yes. yeah. Hell. I think I've already yeah. established the fact yes. that people still are drunk while they're Well, shopping. no, for sure. But I'm just saying that like, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it could, it could roll again. I mean, you know, there's some people who are, I mean, the, I think the issue is, is that they make, everyone's trying to conserve space. So there's, the parking lots are so, yeah. they just feel like they're very small now, even though they're not small. There's just so many cars, everyone's there. Oh, no, no, no. Ask someone who has an 11 year old boy, those parking spots are too small because every time my son gets out of the car, I'm like, don't open that door too fast. Yeah, <laughs> don't hit that car. Yeah. He has hit someone's car one time and I was a good person and left a note and that cost me $1,200 for a two inch scratch. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, those parking spots are too small. There's yeah, a nice I'm... place in heaven for you too. You and Judy, girl. <laughs> Boo. Let me tell you. And look, I looked around that parking lot at the Rouses and I was like, ain't nobody out here. Ain't nobody know. I'm just going to say. Oh, but I left the note anyway because I'm a good person. I'm sure at the Schwegman's parking lot till it was over with, there were many a dents and many a cars and nobody gave any sort of. lit. Nobody gave. Everyone's like, you know, we went to Schwegman's today. I, I, I didn't have a pen. I couldn't leave it. <laughs>
I don't know what to do. Hands up, you can't yeah. do I'm sorry, hands up. Uh, another thing they did to build that community kind of atmosphere is they would have once a year, I don't know if y'all remember this, I remember this, they had kids week. Oh no. Where, you, oh, I remember this, because my grandma would bring me every single time, every time. You go to kids week, and at the front of the grocery store, you got a goodie bag. And then at every little department, you got a full-size sample. They didn't give you a piece of a cookie. You got a whole damn cookie to yourself kind of thing. And then they would have special guests throughout the week, like people in R2-D2 and 3CPO costumes and stuff like that, where it was a whole big old kids deal. So they would do stuff like that. And they would also use their grocery bags, like you were talking about the K and B bags, they would use their grocery bags as marketing beginning, middle, and end. And those Schwegman's grocery bags are a hot commodity right now. They would do everything from having mazes and word scrambles and coloring, like, you know, coloring book kind of things on it. A lot of kids would use the Schwegman bags to cover their textbooks for school with it. Uh, the Schwegman's family would use it as political advertisements because a lot of the Schwegman's family members tried to get into politics. Uh, they would print recipes like the Schwegman's family meatballs and gravy and the Schwegman's family gumbo on it. They were very, very clever in their marketing and they did that through marketing through making sure everybody had a little bit of something. And they also wanted to make sure that they appealed to a culturally and economically diverse clientele where they made sure that even though the grocery stores are massive, their prices were always very, very low. And this actually ended up getting the family into a little bit of trouble through things like the liquor industry the drug industry and the dairy industry because the Schwegman's family had the audacity to sell things at prices lower than those industries wanted them to. Ugh, this was during the time of price fixing and fair trade laws where when the industry said what a price should be, you were legally obligated to sell at that price. You couldn't sell lower than that price. And John G perceived that as not in his best interest and not at the best interest of his customers as well. So like in the state of Louisiana, you were required to mark up your liquor prices from 15 to 50% depending on the kind of alcoholic beverage you were selling. And old John G was quoted as saying, not just quoted, but they took the time to print it on their grocery bags. <laughs> we take orders from our customers not from price fixers. We're being accused of selling some 2,000, quote, fair traded items too cheap. To that accusation, we plead guilty to the crime of selling every item every day at the lowest possible price. Our contempt for the un-American price fixing fair trade system is only exceeded by our determination to save money for our customers. I just stopped reading that the first sentence. Me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get yeah. you. I got you, John. I got. You. I understand. Right. John. <laughs> <laughs> Trigman, I'm... 
<laughs> so they took that same attitude, not just with liquor, but with prescription drugs, with over-the-counter drugs, with the dairy industry. And actually, they were able to skirt part of this legally because while over-the-counter drugs were sold at Schwegman's, quote-unquote, prescription drugs were sold through the pharmacy, not under the Schwegman's name. So that pharmacy, not under the Schwegman's name, sold their prescription drugs cheaper than they were legally allowed to. Despite all of this, obviously, they ain't there no more. Yeah, yeah ain't there no more. What they happened? ain't there no more. What happened? What, what ha Walmart yeah, what is what happened. happened. <laughs> oh, so Just he should have went, went worldwide. I don't know. I don't we know. should have pit bulled him. Go, Mr. Worldwide, right? Mr. Worldwide. Yeah. I named my dog Mr. Worldwide because he a pit bull. <laughs> Just Walmart? Literally because of Walmart. No. Oh, man. By the numbers, in the late 80s, the Schwegmans Brothers giant supermarkets averaged 36 to 38% of the grocery market in the greater New Orleans metropolitan area. Their annual sales were around $455 million just staying local. Uh, but as non-local com competition became more significant in the local market, the annual sales of Schwegmans declined to about $289 million in 1998, despite having more stores in the chain than the out-of-state markets. They were third in the local market share behind the two New Orleans chains at that point. So in 1995, the Schwegman brothers acquired the National Canal Villery chain. They had 28 grocery stores and they were starting to go under. So the Schwegman company acquired those 28 stores for $150 million, which put a financial strain on the Schwegman's corporation. They couldn't recover from that strain because it was just a time and place and circumstance thing. They finally wanted to branch out. They acquired a going under business that put them under financial strain so they couldn't keep up their inventory and they couldn't maintain the quality of upkeep in their own stores. And that caused them to go under and seek an outside source. So in 1997, the Schwegman brothers was sold to Kohlberg, Kravis, Roberts and company and that's a firm that specialized in returning distressed corporations back to profitability. But despite that new owner's efforts, the Schwegman brothers declared bankruptcy in 1999 and permanently ceased operations. Boo. Uh. Boo. So Canal Villery drowned yeah. themselves in Schwegmans. And took Schwegmans down with them. You know, you think you know business. You think you do. You think you know You think business. you do. You think, and look, let me tell you, there's grocery chains in New Orleans that have been trying desperately to live up to that ever since. I don't, do y'all remember Del Champs? Yeah. Del Champs. Of course. Del Champs tried to do the whole Schwegmans thing. They had huge stores and they'd put, I mean, this was like in the mid nineties, they did this whole artisan thing before Whole Foods and Fresh Market and all came down here. There's been a lot of grocery stores that have tried to replicate that sense of community that a grocery store chain had like Schwegman's, but no one's been able to do it because they've always kept their eye larger than local. And it just hasn't happened since. Yeah, I think the only, I mean, from what I've seen is the closest that could do it 
maybe Dornax, but they don't deliver. I mean, you, they're not delivering anything. Or Let me tell not. you, in my research, that is the name that comes up more than anything else. Study it. And that's the name that people don't poo-poo on because there's other grocery chains that people will mention like, oh, they're trying to do it. They're trying to do it. Dornax is the only one where no one's got a bad thing to say about Dornax no. and Langenstein. But Langenstein is so fancy. Yeah. And, it's not, and it's it's not, not even in the same realm. This isn't a promo. I mean, it's just like if you drive by, the, the, it's, the parking lot is always full. Right. And so you're, you're just wondering how much if you, I mean, if you were, own the place or whatever like how much could you do better because that parking lot is actually restricting you because it's always full mm -hmm. so i'm sure they're working some you know probably doing some stuff i don't know maybe call us up i don't know i'll give you some strategy <laughs> if you can keep it local keep it local we don't like big corporations coming in i don't want a bunch of freaking whole foods and whatever sorry whole foods you're not going to be our sponsor, don't worry. Right. <laughs> and that's why we have... Uh... No, but Langenstein's hit us up, yeah. motherfuckers. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Bromart, no. Langenstein, Dornak, let's go. Bromart would be a great sponsor because their social media is lit. Right. Conseco's would be great because I want all their meat pies. Right. Y'all. And that Love cheese. Their... Dude, they're... Is that cheese? Conseco's cheese. Wait, is it thunder cheese? Thunder cheese. Thunder cheese. That. All right, have My I told y'all about the cookbook I'm making? Let's wrap this up first. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, thunder cheese. Uh, We're doing both of those, thunder cheese thunder. and ham pies. Nice, okay, nice, cool. Nice. Oh, but anyway, we've been. Uh, you can count all that shit. No, I mean, I, I most likely will. No, I hope he, you yeah. will. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Well, I was just trying to just say like I want to keep it local, but you can. But that's what we do on the Brackish Podcast. You do keep it local. Yeah, so you can counter all that shit that I was talking about. If it's not local, just take well, that's it That's why we do grind. We right? grind it out. We got the grind. We got Lee's grain-free cookies. Uh, always. That's, always league-free. Yeah, well, uh, not local, but uh, in the family. We keep it in the it's family. In fam ah, yeah. It's in the family. There you go. It's in the family, you know? Hey, you know, you know what? K&B kept in the family. Yep. Schwebman's kept in the family. Uh, Poncho's, Poncho's kept in the family. Poncho's kept it in the family. Uh -huh. It may not be local, but it's in the family. Yes. Always. And you stay local. I believe that you guys are family. Yeah. To me. Always. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you can hit us up if you're a family member or want to be a family member. Hit us up uh, at our Gmail, Instagram, Gmail, Facebook, Twitter. Tw do we have? Yeah, we have to have a Twitter. We, we have, a Twitter, have a Twitter, but we don't. We don't. We try long. to Twitter. Look, it's hard. <laughs> we don't Twitter. <laughs> I twatter and Twitter all the time. Yeah, yeah. But we would love for you guys to share your memories at Poncho's or K&B or Schwegman's with us. Hit us up on our social media. Let us know what your yeah. best or worst memories are of these places that just yeah. ain't there no more. We're gonna we're gonna send out a lot of social media stuff, and I'll. I'll try to twatter as, as much as I need to. Right. And we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday. We'll see you guys next Tuesday.